Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this week's edition of Generally Irritable. Per usual, we have some exciting guests to share their big brains and fun information with us today. Uh, we've got a guest who I actually got to interview at the Young Women's Leadership Summit in 2021. Uh, it's a Turning Point USA event. And that's where uh, Benjamin and I learned about the Atlas Society. Now, many of you are very well read out in our audience. So you may have read the book Atlas Shrugged. You've probably heard about an author called Ayn Rand who wrote Atlas Shrugged. Now, some of you may or may not know that that book has actually been one of the most influential books of a generation. So uh, Ayn Rand, not only writing influential books, but just generally being a very influential author. The idea that she brought forth uh, to the collective consciousness is this is this idea or this philosophy of objectivism. OK, so that it and I, you guys, I'm not going to try to butcher it. I'm going to bring Jennifer Grossman in right away to kind of talk to us a little bit more about it. But really, it's this idea that we can be rational, reasonable people and make good decisions that are good for us that in turn are also good for society. That's kind of the dumbed down version of what I think it means. It's basically like moral selfishness. Uh, some people might call it or, um, or uh, what's the word? It's like um, holy selfishness or something like that. It's basically how can we do good in the world while also thinking of ourselves and our families and making sure that like the proverbial passenger on the airplane, we're putting our oxygen mask on first before we're, we're helping the people around us. So uh, Ayn Rand, Objectivism, the Atlas Society is an organization whose, whose purpose is to, is to, uh, to facilitate and grow those ideas, to share them with the world and hopefully make, make it a better place. And while a lot of the guests we have on this show are very partisan, right? They are, they are Democrats, they are Republicans, they are whatever they are. One of the really cool things about the Atlas Society is that they're nonpartisan. Their goal is really just to reach people. They're not trying to say, uh, you know, they're not trying to hitch their wagon to one team or another. They're saying, no, we all can agree on these things, whether libertarian or even socialists. I mean, you guys, this has this understanding of how we engage with the world around us can benefit everybody in every sphere. And so I guess that's just what I want to get started with. If you've got some prejudices in your mind about Ayn Rand or Atlas Shrug, I'd like you to just take them, take, take them, take them in your hand, stick it in your pocket for right now. Okay. Just stick it right in your pocket, whether you're a evangelical Christian or you are a practical socialist, as some people call themselves, just take that, put it in your pocket and let's have a fun, fresh new conversation with the CEO of the Atlas Society, Miss Jennifer Grossman. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, well, thanks for having me on. I just so enjoyed our time together at uh, the Young Women's Leadership Summit and big admirer of your work. Thank you so much. Okay, so I'm just going to let everybody know right off the bat, uh, 
as you're looking at the show today, you're going to see that we got a little bit of a funky format. We were having some technical issues. So Miss Grossman is joining us via Zoom. So we're going to switch back and forth like this. So she's the main picture on the screen, you guys. I'm going to make myself small. So you get to just see her being smart and beautiful like she is. And uh, and we're going to do this. So, all right. Uh, now, Jennifer, would you go ahead and just tell our viewers, you know, why, what it is that has you so passionate about Ayn Rand and the Atlas Shrugged, objectivism, what brought you to this conversation? Well, I think for me, um, one of the things that we miss when we look at socialism, we say, well, it's good in theory, but it doesn't work in practice. The motives are good. Uh, you know, even Frederick Hayek, when talking about socialism, uh, would say that it kind of came from a, a good place. And what Ayn Rand really brought to the party, now remember, she was born in 1905. Okay. She was 12. She was born in Soviet, well, she was born in St. Petersburg. Oh, wow. She was born 12 years before the Bolsheviks revolution. took over. Yeah. She was 12. She watched that revolution from the window of her uh, parents' apartment. And uh, she lived under communism, under uh, the Soviet Union, until she was able to escape uh, in her early 20s. And so she saw that these calls for brotherhood, these calls for uh, living for others, for mm. socialism, uh, were really motivated by something else. They, they were a, a facade for a power grab. Yeah. And at core, they were motivated by envy by not by wanting to you know build yourself up but by wanting to take somebody else down so well, i think and, that was really important and isn't it important like you know good ideas don't have to be uh pushed on people by force if it were really actually i mean if people could go along with that and there was this real brotherly camaraderie would we have to murder 25 million people Absolutely. I mean, that that is why she said it always begins with this altruistic appeal, right? Mm. That that uh, you're as an individual, you must live for your, the nation, for your brothers, for the proletariat. Uh, and then that devolves into tyranny because um, it is unnatural. It is not consistent with human nature. So if you start with the yes. idea of what we need as individuals in order to survive and thrive in the world it's that we need to act rationally and we need to act to you know live in our our, our self-interest to further our lives um and so that that really is something that you know if you don't allow people to to make their own decisions, you will end up by needing to force them. I think something you said there really deserves repeating, which is a lot of these ideas ignore the reality of human nature, okay? We, by nature, are selfish, self-centered, self-interested, right? We're going to take care of ourselves first. We're going to take care of our families first. And even when we have good intentions, we can hurt each other, do things wrong and screw things up. So can you, 
I don't know if you can. I'm asking you to speculate here, okay? But can you fathom where this idea that we can overcome human nature comes from? Well, I mean, I do think that it has various um, roots that are utopian. A lot of it comes from the whole progressive movement. In fact, the progressive movement in the United States uh, preceded the collectivist movements that you saw in uh, Europe. And um, so I, I, I think there is an idea that in part came out of the Industrial Revolution. There was so much change. Look at these machines, um, uh, you know, factories, they're organized. Can't we organize society along similar lines? Um, yeah. One thing I did want to mention, though, you know, when you ask people to put aside their cognitive priors, uh, you know, Ayn Rand was an artist first and, and foremost, right? Mm -hmm. She um, she was a philosopher, but she was an artist. She understood that art was uh, the essential medium for the communication of a moral ideal. And um, when she talked about selfishness, and she also, you know, was a bit of a, a showwoman. She knew how to kind of um, get people's attention and yes. how to be provocative. And so yes. uh, she knew that selfishness, I, I think she knew that selfishness had a certain kind of negative connotation. So I want to be very clear that when Ayn Rand talks about selfishness, she's talking about self-interest. She's talking about rational self-interest. And I think there's a lot of confusion about that. I love uh, that you know, you're bringing that up. Right? I love that. So you know, you can act in a way that is in your short-term self-interest, right? You can uh, lie and cheat. Um, you can enter into fraudulent <laughs> relationships. Which we see a lot of. That's not going to work out very, you know, uh, good for you in the end. If you decide to cheat your customers, well, you're very soon going to get a reputation for uh, being somebody without integrity. And people aren't going to want to do business with you. So when you act in your rational self-interest, it means um, acting in your long-term rational self-interest. Oh my gosh. I love that you put it that way. I think that is so important to discuss. All right, you guys, I'm actually going to, Jennifer, I'm going to try something here with our view. Give me one second. What if I do this? You know what? Let's just go with that. And that way everybody can see us. And, uh, oh no, that's my terrible camera. No, that doesn't work. <laughs> All right. We're trying something new. So first I want to come back to what you just said, which is, um, rational self-interest, long-term, short-term, right? A lot of times people think of selfishness, like you said, as being a negative thing. It means that you're cheating people or you're lying or whatever. But, you know, one of the things that we talked about a little bit is before we, before we started airing was how women can have a tendency to really set aside what it is they want, uh, but more importantly, what they need to self-actualize and to really fully participate, whether it's in their family, their church, the community, whatever it is. And so I wonder if you can speak to a little bit about um, how the Atlas Society is working to, um, to, to reach out to young women and to help them see, hey, um, you know, kind of this, this, uh, this, this thing that the society has been trying to sell you may not work. You know, hey, we might have a different idea. 
What's the Alice Society doing to reach out? Yeah, well, I think that uh, Ayn Rand actually has a lot of potential to appeal to young women. And again, mm. our focus is primarily on connecting young people with the ideas of Ayn Rand mm. and what she has to offer in terms of her moral defense of capitalism, her moral defense of individualism, mm. that individuals have a right to act in their self-interest. Well, and I'm sorry, I'm totally going to interrupt you. I'm so sorry. I think it's interesting. We say moral good, but she wasn't a religious person. Right. Right. So say a little bit about that moral conversation when we're not adding, you know, like a Christian message behind it. Yes. Uh, well, you know, Ayn Rand, in addition to her novels, which incorporated uh, these philosophical ideas, later then developed um, a systematic philosophy, which included a metaphysics, mm. uh, how she saw the world around us. For her, her metaphysics was the natural world. It was not about a supernatural world. Her epistemology was about logic and reason, not faith. But mm -hmm. then again, she went on to have an ethics, okay? The ethics mm -hmm. are about how do we interact with other people. And her ethics was one of, again, rational, long-term self-interest. Uh, and yes, she had a politics. And yes, she had an aesthetics. But <laughs> in terms of those ethics, uh, I think that often as women, because of our wonderful privilege of uh, having the opportunity to be wives and to be mothers, um, in that role, we can sometimes default to putting the needs of others before those of ourselves. Yes. And again, we are talking about in the, the long term. So, you know, as mothers, yes, we don't always get the amount of sleep that we want or, you know, we have to tend to other people's <laughs> needs. Because in our rational self-interest, we want to be able to have uh, vibrant, independent, young adults and, and all of that. But in the process of, of putting others' needs before ourselves, um, I, I think that we can grow resentful, yes. we can reach a breaking point, um, and we can be unhappy, and, you know, there's no getting around that. So Ayn Rand, uh, I, I think the ethics of, of rational self-interest says, you know, you're not here to be a sacrificial animal. You're here to enjoy your life, to thrive, to have a life full of meaning, and your choices are important. So in the ethics, it's important, but I also think Ayn Rand herself, her extraordinary life, uh, you know, think of the times that she wrote in the, uh, the, the 40s and the, and the 50s. Um, this was a very different time in America, and um, for her to bring forth these, you know, epically uh, successful novels and her philosophy, but then again, if you also look at her novels, who, you know, of course, the line that we talk about in Atlas Shrugged was, who is John Galt? Yeah. But who is the actual protagonist, protagonist who does all of the action in Atlas Shrugged? It's Dagny Tagger, uh, the protagonist of We the Living. It's Kira, an engineer. So her novels had a lot to offer young women in terms of their presentation of these strong 
heroines who are doing incredible things and are, are being independent and uh, acting, you know, not with the consensus. So yes. I, I do think that that is something that young women should read and should be able to, to take some inspiration from. And I, I think I want to highlight that again, the times, the time that these books were written, this wasn't cool. It was not okay. And Ayn Rand has been viciously attacked um, over yes. the years from various religious groups or, you know, this or that. And, right. I, you know, the, my first experience learning about Atlas Shrugged and Ayn Rand was through my husband, Benjamin, who is a, a devout Christian. He's he's a evangelical, born-again Christian, um, and he doesn't seem to find anything adversarial between objectivism and Christianity. And so I think that's been one of the interesting things is like, I almost... I'm going to say this totally wrong, Jennifer, and you're probably going to have to like correct me, but I almost see objectivism as basically a similar philosophy to Christianity just without the Jesus, right? It's basically like do unto others as you like, don't go out into the world and be a jerk. Uh, you know, what's yours is yours. Don't steal stuff. Um, it, is that the yeah. right, is that wrong for me to think about it that way? Well, I, I would probably have to, yeah, disagree with you there. I, I do think that I had a very similar experience uh, when I took over the Atlas Society seven years ago, and I would find people that I knew, like Andy Puzder, who is uh, CEO of uh, CKE Restaurants, or mm. my friend Randy Wallace here in Malibu, um, who is uh, an evangelical Christian? He wrote Braveheart and you know, Sea Biscuit and all of these great movies. Okay. And you know, Andy Puster was, was a Catholic with six, you know, children. And he had all of his uh, kids had to read The Fountainhead before they could get their driver's license. So but my knowing a, a, about objectivism, which again, as I mentioned, it's it's not a, it's not supernatural, right? It is natural world. It is not faith-based. Yes. It is about reason and logic. So there, there are differences, and I'm not, not going to whitewash those. But when I um, would ask Andy and uh, Randy and, and other uh, deeply devout Christians, I said, you know, do, does that bother you that Ayn Rand was an atheist? And, and they're like, you know, for them, when they read Atlas Shrugged, that is not <laughs> the message you know, that they're getting, they're, they're, or they read The Fountainhead, mm -hmm. they're, they're getting messages of individualism, of being independent in your beliefs, uh, of being willing to stand against the crowd. So, you know, I, I do think that um, I'm not going to present objectivism, uh, particularly in, you know, its epistemology and its uh, metaphysics as, as compatible with a faith-based world. But for me, the, the big uh, contribution that Ayn Rand uh, gave us was, was her novels and the presentation of the ideas yeah. in the novels. And so that's why I wrote Can You Love God and Ayn Rand, mm. because I fervently believe that you can. I've seen it with my, my own eyes. 
Um, and, uh, and that's why I actually think, and as I wrote in that article, that, uh, you know, what, what Ayn Rand really challenged was uh, this idea that socialism had a moral high ground, that it was about brotherly love and it was about uh, doing for others. And, and she talked about its true motives of, of envy and, and power lust and greed as properly understood as the desire for the unearned. And, you know, in doing that, um, that was something that the, the left and the socialists couldn't abide. And so yeah. uh, I, I feel like they really, in a way, uh, wanted to try to make Ayn Rand radioactive. Ooh. And so they exaggerated mm -hmm. the um, importance of uh, atheism and made it all about atheism when that really was, was part of that, but that's not really what people take away right. when they read The Fountainhead or Atlas Shrugged. Well, and they did that to try to make, it, uh, make her radioactive in a Christian, you know, largely Christian nation. Um, and I think that, that they were somewhat successful in doing that, but were. I don't want, you know, young Christians to be manipulated by that. They yeah. can think for themselves. And, you know, uh, I, if your faith is important to you, if your faith is strong and important to you, um, I guess I'd say, you know, be confident. In it. I don't think that, it, you know, <laughs> you really think that it's going to be challenged. Agreed. Maybe it will be challenged. Maybe it will be challenged by learning more about objectivism. Well, and here's the thing. That's not a bad thing, right? As a Christian, I don't have to be afraid of being, of my faith being challenged. I, do, I don't feel threatened by that because I am so grounded and rooted in my faith. I also know there's a ton of stuff that I don't know, can't answer, and have to just take on faith. And so I think, you know, wow, you really hit it. Um, there, there's been a lot of effort on, I think on, on, on different sides, right? We've got these religious people. We got this, I call them the zealots who you can't, we question. got them too. Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> like you can't get them to an objectivism. You can't say anything. Everybody's going to hell. It doesn't matter. Like nobody has grace. They're the judge. And you know, you have those people. Um, and, and it's like, they're so scared and afraid of losing their own um, sense of self that any questioning or consideration that there might be something else just kind of throws them into a loop. Totally. Totally. Yeah. No, I mean, I, have seen this quite recently as a matter of fact oh. um when you know there are people have you noticed this when there are people that say oh i won't debate that other side right like, so what are you that, afraid of right exactly what are you afraid of whether it is the uh you know climate alarmists who won't debate the skeptics or the branch covidians who won't debate the critics of lockdowns or the CRT people who won't debate. Wait, did you just the say trans people who won't debate? Did you just say branch covidians? Yeah, I mean it's <laughs> it's a religion. And recently, I was like yesterday, there was this whole video from uh, some objectivist group that said, "Well, we will never debate the Atlas Society because you know we we can't count it." But it's all, it's all about the same thing. These are these are less philosophical or scientific. 
you know, issues um, for people who, who won't debate, but psychological ones. And I suspect that all of them are really uh, suffering from a sense of insecurity, intellectual insecurity about the strength of their positions, because otherwise, regardless, if you are, you know, confident about your belief system, why not debate? Exactly. Oh, I love that. I love that. And I think uh, uh, this world needs a lot more rational objectivism, reason, uh, and, and using reason and logic is not, it's, first of all, it's not antithetical to religion. It's not antithetical to everything, anything. If you are, and I, and I, I'm going to move on from this really quickly. I, I don't know why I'm stuck on it. At, especially as a religious person, I get frustrated with religious people. Cause it's like, you're damaging our ability to have conversations. God gave us logic and reason to understand the natural world. Okay. That is what I believe. And if that is true, then why do I have to be afraid of using my logic? I mean, yeah, well, you know, I'll say that our, our founder, the founder of the Atlas Society, David Kelly, said, if we are right, we have nothing to fear. Mm. And if we are wrong, we have something to learn. Oh, my and gosh. Yes. Isn't that brilliant? And I, I just it. think that if all of us adopted that, and that's why at the Atlas Society, you know, one of the things that makes us different is this elevation of benevolence as a major virtue. Mm. And that's part of open objectivism is that we will debate and we will discuss and uh, we will have a commitment to a reasoned, tolerant, non-dogmatic debate and a policy of benevolence towards fellow travelers, uh, you know, conservatives or libertarians or even, you know, critics. And I think that that is um, really essential uh, because, you know, you have to be an entrepreneur. You have to be an entrepreneur, not just in your business, but you have to be an entrepreneur in your life and in your social relationships. And, you know, that's why it's selfish to be polite. It's selfish to be kind. <laughs> because if you are kind, um, then, you know, you have a lot more opportunity to gain some customers mm-hmm. and to gain some partners, yes. to gain some followers. So I, I think that uh, if more of us adopted that kind of rationally selfish, selfish kindness and openness, that um, we'd be more successful. I am in complete agreement with you. I love it. So now I know um, the Atlas Society was one of the organizations that opposed the lockdowns uh, very much against government mandates and things like that. Um, What would you say, is the Atlas Society doing any work around, you know, the, the, oh my God, branch COVIDians. I cannot wait to use that again later. Um, what? Yes. Tell yeah. me a little so, bit about what you got going on. Sure. With that. Sure. Yeah. Um, so for one thing, uh, you know, when this all came down and again, we, this goes back to, um, to ethics and to politics that, you know, individuals must need require to make their own decisions and a government should be limited to simply protecting people's individual rights, whether that is 
um, in terms of its uh, foreign policy or you know its domestic policy of, of uh, protecting it, people's individual rights. And this was a gross violation of people's individual rights. So again, we could bring a philosophical argument to bear. And just going back to what you had said earlier, I mean, I think that's at least one reason why objectivists and uh, uh, religious Christians um, should get along because yeah. we are making an argument about why it is important for the state to stay out of dictating people's um, faith or yes. religious practices or what have you. So we took a, a early and strong position against the lockdowns. I mean, so, and I lost, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I lost donors because of it, because people were scared and wow. freaked out. And I said, you know, we really must stand on principle. We don't abandon our principles during an emergency. As a matter of fact, that's the most important time to remember, you know, why we have these principles. I was bitterly, bitterly disappointed to see other, uh, you know, libertar so-called libertarian groups, even objectivist groups, um, making arguments in favor Our, of, uh, you know. Yes, the, the Libertarian Party chair of Vermont at the time, not the current chair, Olga is awesome for the record, but the previous Libertarian Party of Vermont chair uh, supported the lockdowns, supported vac vaccine mandates, and actually hijacked the party refused to call meetings and the party actually almost lost ballot access as wow. a result. That's how hard yeah. he was working to promote. And I just think it's so strange to me how you can yeah. be a person who's a libertarian or an objectivist and you can say that it's okay to give over any Your sort agency. of power. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it was terrible. The, you know, and then the other thing early on, uh, government started saying, well, we're going to give uh, bailouts, right, to to uh, uh, nonprofits, right, mm -hmm. if you toe the line and do what we say. And um, we, there's another uh, objectivist organization that was exposed as having taken massive <laughs> bailout money. And all of a sudden, I start getting calls saying, oh, you know, thinking that that was my organization. I said, oh. so I, I actually did a, a video and I wrote an article on all of the reasons why the Atlas Society didn't do that and would never do that. Um, because, you know, we are in the business of transacting ideas. And uh, if you can't find a way to innovate and switch things up um, and do it and, and do that, you know, we, we're not a movie theater, right? We're not a, <laughs> you know, we're, we're not a drive-through. So, you know, we, we weren't, um, yes, we were prevented from doing certain things like going to student conferences, but we found a way. I mean, we were among the only organizations, us and Turning Point, that in 2020 held our events. We went forward, we had our, our gala in 2020 in California, by the way, not an easy thing How to do. did you get that? And then since then, <laughs> uh, you know, I, so one of the innovations was, okay, well, they're not letting us out of our house, but um, I'm going to do weekly webinars. So I started doing those. Ah. And, um, you know, many of the guests that we've had on, Jeffrey Tucker, um, Scott Atlas, mm. uh, Ian Miller, author of Unmasked, um, Johan Anderberg, uh, author of a book about Sweden's experience, um, just consistently uh, 
talking to people and and um, putting out a challenge to the to the prevailing um, narrative. And it wasn't always easy, but uh, because you know we're we're getting warnings from social media, they're going to like, take down our content. But I, but I think it was important, and um, you know that's why I'm here. <laughs> I am in complete agreement. It, uh, you know, it requires some people to stand up, to take a mm -hmm. stand and to say no. And, um, and, and we thank the Alice Society for being one of those organizations. Uh, you know, our church in Vermont was one of the only ones that didn't shut down, um, that said, you know, that gave the nose to, uh, to the state. And even though they tried to come in and shut us down, they tried to send the health department in. But luckily, our pastor and our leadership knew what our rights were and that they could and could not what they could and could not impose. And if you don't take the time, you know, folks don't take the time to understand the rules that we've all agreed to. Right. And it's called the Constitution of the United States. If we don't know our rights, if we don't know our rule, if the rules that we um, that we live by, then the government can get over on us. So I just I just love what the Atlas Society is doing. I love that you guys are bringing this stuff to attention. I'm going to, as we wrap up here, I want to show everybody your beautiful website here for just mm -hmm. a second. Let me see. I'm going to switch this around. So we've got um, awesome, awesome content here on the website, you guys. They have events coming up. They've got uh, different webinars, podcasts, all this stuff. They've got um, Atlas University, so you can get activism. Kit. Look at activism kits. You can, yeah, um, and you you can sign up for our summer conference in Nashville, Ooh. Uh, where we're going to be bringing young people together with um, some of our longtime members of our donor community. Cool. community. We've got our gala, our 007th gala coming up in Miami in the fall. And um, and then, of cool. course, we've got all of our, our wonderful artistic content, our graphic yes. novels, our animated videos. And increasingly, I'm excited to say, again, born out of the lockdown uh, craziness when we started having some of our social media um, threatened here in the United States, we started translating our content uh, oh. into oh. over a dozen languages. And um, the, some of the videos that get, you know, a million views here in the United States get up to 8 million views wow. uh, abroad. So we are That's bringing uh, objectivism to the Middle East, to, uh, to Latin America, wow. to Europe. That is amazing. Okay. And you guys you. go here. Wait, let me, uh, here's the, okay. You know what the most important part of this website is, you guys? This donate link right here. Okay donate today oh they people can donate stocks and cryptocurrency yeah what okay so you guys if we want to make sure that young people in particular are hearing this message if we want them to know that they don't have to be crazy leftists and that there are other if we want people to be out there spreading the message you got to donate. Okay. You got to put your money where your mouth is. So everybody go to Atlas Society. Um, is it, oh shoot, .com or .org? .org. And .org. if you've never given to the Atlas Society, if you're a new donor, our trustees will match that donation. 
Ooh, so, how long is the $5 batch for the Atlas on? Society? Boom, it's it's $10 or what have you. Cool. And, and go and follow us also. I'd love for uh, especially young people watching to follow us on any of the social media platforms. Um, I know TikTok is controversial, but we're, we're also on uh, Instagram. And, uh, and that's where, you know, we not only post our, our content and our videos, but um, we take audience questions. So well, people say, you know, whatever it is, um, uh, who's the best president? Who is the worst president? Um, <laughs> you know, are there moral absolutes? Whatever. Uh, then, then we do, uh, I do, our scholars do, and our, our staff and, and okay. our guests do quick one-minute answers. All so right. I'd so love to see you there. We've got, okay, so here's the Instagram, you guys. Go check it out. It's just Atlas Society. Okay. Yep. We're gonna, I didn't realize I wasn't following you. We're giving you a follow. <laughs> um, and here's the here's that Wall Street Journal article. Uh, can you love God and Ayn Rand? I love that. So you guys go check out the Wall Street Journal article. Uh, Jennifer, you have done an amazing job running the Atlas Society, being the face. Uh, you know, I said before we got started, when when we got to go to America Fest this year. And we saw the content that you guys had to give out to the people who were there. It was, it was so clear that you guys, that the organization is really working hard to reach people. You're not just, oh, we're, we got, you know, pens here for you, which everybody <laughs> just throws away anyway. Um, but when we're talking about comic books, when we're talking about the kind of swag that is actually going to engage the audience that you want to talk to. I, I just was so impressed. Yeah. We, we, we got it together and I'm very, very proud of our staff. I mean, I think you also saw that young people mm -hmm. that uh, always are there at the um, Atlas Society booths, no matter whether you're at Turning Point or you're at Students for Liberty or Young Americans for Liberty or whatever conference, those kids are switched on they're bright they're not looking at their phones um and they you know are are coming away with uh with just you know people that are curious and we want to make things accessible so that's why we have all of our pocket guides pocket guide to objectivism pocket guide to capitalism pocket guide to atlas shrugs so good uh, and then you know we have as you said atlas university our faculty and ways for people to take the next step so um it's i, I just, love it yeah. yeah, I love it. And you were you were absolutely right. Everyone that we've engaged with at these events is very knowledgeable, thoughtful. They look put together. These are not your average uh, college kids, you guys. They're not with the bad haircuts and the mismatching unkept clothes. These kids look good. It's clear. With their dollar sign. Yes, yes. Actually, are those available on the website? Yes, they are. And I'll tell your audience, uh, you know, because people will ask me about them. And why do you wear the dollar sign? Yeah. And, you know, Ayn Rand wore the dollar sign. For those who have read Atlas Shrugged, you'll remember that the dollar sign was a motif throughout the book. It was left mm. on cigarettes. There were clues at the end of the book. They write the dollar sign in the sky. And Ayn Rand herself, some of those most iconic photos of Ayn Rand wearing the dollar sign. Yeah. And she said that as the symbol of the currency of a free market, the dollar is sign is the symbol of the currency of the free mind. So oh. I, I think it's a shorthand way of saying, you know, capitalism, I support it. And, uh, and it, I, you know, 
you got to hustle. I love it. I, you know what? That is the perfect place to put a pin in our conversation. Jennifer Grossman, CEO of the Atlas Society. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for joining us. And especially thank you, thank you for everything that you do for, uh, for the country and for the world. Yes. All right. Right back at you. <laughs> Amen. All Thanks, right, Jennifer. everybody. Thank you again, Jennifer Grossman. And uh, we'll see you guys. Oh, actually, we won't see you next week uh, because it is my birthday next week. And uh, the hubs and I have a little getaway planned. So you aren't going to see me here, guys. But the week after that, it'll be very exciting. All right. We're done for the day. All right. See you guys later.